Okay, my name is Susan Tyner. We have a lot of new people here today. So if you're new, thank you for coming and joining us. And if you're not new, look for the new faces. Make yourself, make them feel very welcome. Um, this is basically a kickoff for our spring semester. I will be teaching as will Megan Granigan and Lisa Sarver. We're gonna take turns this semester. Last semester I taught most of them, but this time we're gonna have a team of three. And so my job today is just to, to whet our appetite. We're not gonna really jump into James until next week, the actual verses, but I thought this would be a great introduction and just to kind of get us started and also to add a week, because it's kind of a short study. We're gonna end March 23rd, which is early for us, but Easter is early. And so we're, um, our schedule just, just feels a little, a little smaller. But um, I do wanna just talk about the homework before we get started. This is a different homework than last semester. Last semester, you could probably just sit down and do it real quickly. This is gonna take a little bit more time and your small group leaders can go over that with you today. Um, we never want you not doing the homework to keep you from coming because honestly, their small group, their group discussion questions at the end of each chapter, that's really what you'll go over in your groups. No one is gonna check your homework or ask you to give an answer. That's the other thing, if, especially for new people, you're not gonna be made to pray, you're not gonna be made to talk or anything. We want this to be very comfortable for you and I'm kind of like one of those extroverted introverts. Like the introvert in me can really come out at things like this. Like I'm like, don't make me say anything. Personal prayer requests, are you kidding me? You know, it can be my dog is sick. It can be that personal, okay? It's okay. Or it can be my child just broke up with a girl, you know, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, and I really need prayer for that. It can be anything. So I just want to make sure you feel comfortable. Um, and also, if you have any questions about Bible study, please ask Kara or me. We're here to help you. So, anyway. Um, so, that covers this. If you didn't get a book, see me. Um, we should have plenty today, but we, can, we also have more at my house. So, anyway. Okay, let me pray for us and let's get started. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for this room. Thank you for the food and... Thank you for all these faces. We're so excited to be together after a long break. We thank you for our new sisters who've joined us, and we just pray that, that you would be honored in what we talk about today and that where there are hurting hearts or um, hearts that are seeking things, that you would meet them there, Father, um, through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> okay, so... Um, who is James? Um, who wrote this book of James? Um, there, I'm not going to lie. There, there are different opinions. I wish I could say, oh, I'll tell you who James is. Now, I feel like it's probably, most of the people I studied said it was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, there's James the Apostle, or the, the, one of the 12 disciples, and some people think he may have written the book of James, but he died really early, and um, most people think um, that it's the brother of Jesus who wrote this book. Um, and if it is that James, he was one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. So, right, so just to get ourselves in history, Jesus 
was born. We just had Christmas. I'm going to make this real simple because this is how I need it. Jesus was born. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died, was resurrected, and then he ascended into heaven. And then it starts this period of the early church. And so James was one of the leaders of that first church in Jerusalem. Um, sometimes he's called James the Just. He really cared about obedience. Um, some say that his knees look like camels um, because they were so gnarly from praying on his knees so much. So that's, that's probably who I'm going with. But like I said, there are other people who think there are a couple of other James it could be. This is the other thing that kind of convinces me. He doesn't really identify himself um, as far as which James he is, and it's probably because they knew who wrote it. They kind of knew it was James, the leader of the early church. So that kind of made sense to me. I don't think it matters a whole lot, though, because basically whoever the James is, he really is going to take us to the woodshed. <laughs> I don't care who he is. Uh, we're going to learn and is inspired by God. So he's not going to uh, pull any punches on us. So when is it written? Actually, I thought this was fascinating because in my Bible, James is toward the end of the New Testament after Hebrews. But it's probably the first letter written to the early church. Now, I do not know why they don't just put things in order. But that kind of threw me. So it's probably one of the earliest letters that was written to the early church. And it's probably written closer to 44 AD, but sometime between 44 and when James died in 62. James was actually thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death. Um, so he had a really violent end, but so, they think it was between 44 when Stephen, if you know the story of Stephen being stoned and persecuted and dying for his faith, that caused a lot of Jew, Jewish Christians to start leaving Jerusalem because they were so persecuted. And so you'll see next week when Lisa teaches, that talks about the letters written to the dispersion or to the, the Christians, the Jews that are dispersed, the 12 tribes, which basically is God's people who've, who have suffered enough hardship that they've had to leave their home and their exiles. Um, so that's kind of the time period of it written. And then who's the letter to? Because that really matters. We're not the first audience. We want to listen. What is he saying to the first audience so that we can get the principles and apply them to our lives today? So like I said, it's written to Christian Jews. Now, this is really important. It's not written to uh, people who have not been saved yet because James really reads as, a, as very, to me, uh, dogmatic may be a strong word, but very like, do this, don't do this. And if you compare it to, say, Paul's writings, which talk about, you know, works do not save you, um, you could look at James and go, is he saying that I need to earn my way to be a Christian? Do I need to earn God's love? And that's not the case. These are people who already are loved by God and are saved. And so this is not how to become a Christian. It's how to live as a Christian. And you can imagine in the early days of the church, they needed direction. What's my life supposed to look like? You know, and James gets really specific. 
The other thing about the audience is they had a really hard time. I mean, they were persecuted. There was a famine. Um, they were poor, so they're dealing with poverty. When James talks about trials that they're going through, these are like some big-time trials. Um, they also already knew their Old Testament history. Um, they knew Jesus' teachings. Um, and he kind of writes like they would understand things back home. You know, he, his illustrations are things that they would understand. They're very young. These churches are so, like, the little bitty first little, little plants of the new church. And they had left everything to follow Jesus. They had left their homeland. They had left what they were comfortable with. And they had moved to a new place. Now, one of the things I want to do is because the Bible is such a one story, like we were in Joshua last semester, and now we're in James. Um, in your handout, there's a very homemade little graph that I drew. <laughs> and um, it has kind of a, like a cone, you know. And so I just want us to get, act, like, get, our, get our minds where we were last semester, God's people were coming in to take over the promised land, okay? God's people started with that one man, Abraham, who had one little boy, Isaac, who only had twin boys. So God's saying, the, my people are going to be like the stars in the universe. Well, that was a very inauspicious start with one person and one baby. And then the next baby only had two babies. Like, the stars, can you imagine having three stars? <laughs> that would just not work. But I wanted you to see that by the time we read from Joshua, now we're all the way in the New Testament. When the audience is God's people, look how big God's people are getting by this point in God's story. Is that now it wasn't just to the Jews in Jerusalem, but now the Jews in Jerusalem are starting to spread out. And also in your handout, there's a map. And you can start seeing how the early church, because of this persecution and because of the trials, is not just staying all holed up in Jerusalem where it started. It's starting to spread. And I think that's something that gives me kind of chills for they were going through some hard stuff. But look at what was happening in the big picture. God's word, God's people are getting bigger and bigger. And non-Jewish people are going to start becoming part of God's people too. So I just want us to get kind of the sense of where we are in God's big story. And that yes, God loved those people that went into the promised land that we studied last week. And these people are also God's people. And look how big God's people is getting. And it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And you are on that timeline if you trust Jesus. You are part of God's people. And so these lessons apply to us too. So next I wanna just talk about the structure and things. And I owe a lot to Dan Doriani. He wrote a, a, a commentary and I had an outline that Andy gave me of the commentary, which really made my job easier. <laughs> of a love cheating on Bible study. I tell you, I love it. Um, it's okay to do that when uh, you're given credit. So um, there are some influences in James's writing that I think are fascinating because it's one of the earliest letters and because no matter who the James is, they knew Jesus. 
His teachings have a lot of influence, especially the Sermon on the Mount. And I thought that was so interesting. And you can tell when we start reading James that he's listened and been influenced by things Jesus has said. There are a lot of parallels between especially the Sermon on the Mount and James. So here are about three examples. If you're a note taker, great. If not, just take my word for it. There, uh, when he talks about loving your neighbor in chapter 2, verse 8, look at Matthew 22, 29, I mean 39. When James talks about not taking oaths um, in 5.12, Matthew 5.33-37 talks about that. When James talks about riches fading, moth and rust destroying it, that should remind you of Matthew 6, verse 19. So you can see there's just a lot of this, this you know, Matthew, the teachings of Jesus is really, really running strong in James. It's not like James is just out there by itself. The second influence I think is interesting is the Proverbs. And if you read um, the Proverbs, and they're real pithy, and they're really good one-liners, and it's generally an observation about what works in life. It's not that Every single time this happens, it'll happen. But generally speaking, this is what obedience brings. This is what disobedience brings. And James reads a lot like that. Very good one-liners. Um, I think about half the verses in James are telling us to do something or not do something. But it's real like that, real like that. And that's why it's, it's, an, uh, it's an easy book to study, but it is not an easy book to live. I'll tell you that. I'm very convicted already. Um, so th it's going to kind of read close to even how other wisdom books would read, like Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and even Job. And we'll see, we'll observe things that happen because James is saying this is how a Christian lives. This is how you're supposed to live in your new church. This is how you're supposed to, to talk. This is how you're supposed to treat the poor. That's how you're supposed to live with the world around you. But also there's a little bit of a prophet book feel. Um, just like Amos and Isaiah, there's a warning of judgment in the first chapter, um, chapter uh, verse 11, and then in 5, verse 5. So there are these influences that I want us just to listen for as we read. Now, just to give you an overview, if we go up above James and see the roadmap. I'm gonna just go through, here's the way we're gonna walk through it. And you'll hear some of these things. First of all, the opening chapter gives you kind of the roadmap. It's kind of like the first chapter is like an introduction to the whole book. So you'll see these themes of the book in the first chapter. I was an English major in college and I remember <coughs> learning that the first you know, if I were writing a paper, the first paragraph needed to list all the things I was about to present in my paper. So James is doing something like that. So if it seems repetitive, it is. <laughs> um, one of the things that really we're going to learn about, and I'm really thankful, is, is what he tells us about trials. That even if you're a Christian, your life is going to be hard. And for one, I'm kind of shocked by that because you kind of think if I'm a Christian, I should be okay. God should protect me from hard things or I should have it all figured out. And you can ask someone who's been a believer, is that true? And they'll say, that's not been my experience. 
And actually we find out in Hebrews that actually God disciplines those he loves. Just like if you were a parent and you never disciplined your child, you would not be a very loving parent. Um, and so trials, James says, leads to maturity. Now, I had a very brief encounter this spring with a trainer at the TCU gym. And let me tell you, I paid for four lessons and I didn't pay for any more because it was awful. <laughs> I could not walk up my steps. It was awful, but one of the things he told me, and he was so nice, he was like a football player. I mean, I was not matched well, I'll tell you that. I was not matched well. I think he thought I was gonna play for the TCU team next spring. So, but anyway, uh, he would say, the body responds to needs, not wants. Like, I wanted to be in shape, but the need, I, my body needed to feel that I was lifting weights that were too much for me to change, to make me be able to do it. So the Christian life is kind of like that. I can want to be a mature Christian, but there is no substitute for walking through a trial because then you need something. You don't just want to be mature you need something to help you, and that help comes from Jesus. It's not that you'll figure it out and pass a test and get an A-plus on it. It's that you realize what you really need is Jesus, and you lean on him, and you, you just can't breathe without him. And that's one of the things we'll see in James. And the, one of the things that he gives us in a trial is his word, is this Bible. And so I'm preaching to the choir because you all got up on a Thursday morning and came to Bible study. But I got to tell you, when somebody talks to me about a trial and what do I need for my trial, this is what I want to say. I need God to stop it. I need God to stop the trial. I need him to give me a baby when I'm having the trial of miscarriage after miscarriage. I need him to give me a spouse that loves me when my husband's mean or I'm not married and I want to be. I, I need God to lift my depression or my anxiety and why won't he? What I want in my trial is freedom from it. And what James says is actually the gift God gives you in a trial is his word. I got to tell you, I've been through a lot of trials, and sometimes when my, I'm in a trial and I open the Bible, it is like honey, it is like a cup of cold water, it is the best thing. And that's what I wish it were like every time. But I also have to be honest and say sometimes when I'm in a trial and I open the Bible, I can barely read it. And it just, I just look at it and I'm like, God, I'm just sitting here and nothing's happening. But that does not mean you don't open it, and that's not where you go, because that is a grace of God for the trial. The next thing we're going to see in James is there are three tests of true religion. That means, look, if you're really a believer in Jesus, these are the things that will happen. The tongue, already, half of you are not coming back right now. I'm just kidding. The tongue, care for the poor, and being not stained by the world. Those are the three trials or tests that James is going to talk about. And I'll just go ahead and give you the spoiler alert. He knows we're going to fail every one of them. So if you wonder what, what's the deal with these tests, it's, it's let's see, let's prove what's going on in your life with these topics. And since we all fail, this is the great thing about James. 
Like I said, he doesn't write like Paul or like even the Gospels do about here's how you become a Christian. Words like justification, sanctification, your sins are paid for, you're growing this way. He, but there is gospel in James. And the gospel according to James is in chapter 4, 5 through 10, when he talks about once we've failed all these tests, God gives grace to the humble. And the humility comes from falling on your face in these tests, in these trials. Now, the original listeners are living in a powder keg situation of famine, persecution, and poverty. And that's when the wisdom of Proverbs and the Sermon on the Mount's definition of kingdom living really gives James good content for how not to respond to the violence and the injustice that was happening to God's people. So I want us to remember that, that, that they've got this extra burden of, I want to fight back. This is not just. And we can imagine that, whether it's our friend talked bad about us or about our child, or um, your husband lost a job unjustly, um, maybe you are struggling with just our society feeling unjust, um, whatever it is, I don't think, given the room we're in and given the normal circumstances of Fort Worth, Texas in the United States of America, we are experiencing what they are. They're in a really tight spot. And if God tells them to react a certain way, how much more should we learn from that? Mm -hmm. And the emphasis really is on obedience. It's really about how a saved person acts. This is how a saved church acts. And it's very practical and, like I said, convicting. But let's talk a little bit more about the gospel according to James. Um, it's in there. It's just almost like you have to read. Um, it's almost like someone said, read James over and over. It's, you know, 20 minutes to read it. Um, read it like one letter. Um, when we study it, we're going to take pieces of the letter, but maybe just at least once, read it all the way through, and then you can kind of see that you'll see some of this gospel sticking out. In the opening chapter, verse 18, James mentions, like I said, that word is the key to rebirth and salvation. That's a gift. It's not God saying, you figure it out. No, he's saying, come to me and listen to me. I will give you the way of truth. I will give you the means to, to repent, to have hope, to change. Also in chapter 2, verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. As much as James loved obedience, he loved mercy more. And then in chapter 5, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy, and our sins can actually be healed and corrected. And that climax is in 4, 6. He gives much more grace. He gives grace to the humble. He mentions grace twice, and that is a clue for us to go. He's emphasizing grace. Now, what is grace? It's the free gift that God gives people who say, I am needy, and I need something besides myself, and I am sinning. And I never even thought about sin before because I'm so much better than everybody else I know. But now that I compare myself with God and what he says is righteous, I am needy. And my life is a mess. And if, even if I were perfect, the world is not perfect, and I'm needy, and I need something outside of myself. And you go to the only place there is, and that's God. And God sent his son Jesus 
to live a perfect life in your place. And you can say, can I have that life? Can I get the credit he earned? And God says, absolutely, because I've written you in the palm of his hand, and I already know you, and I am calling you to be mine. Won't you give up on all the things that you use to feel better? Money, social position, a good figure, a good temperament, a perfect family. Won't you give up leaning on these things and lean on Jesus and let him love you and be loved? That's grace. That is grace. The things we'll encounter in James are conflict because, again, you'll know by the end of this Bible study that I'm not an athlete, okay? I've already quit the trainer. <laughs> the other idea of hell on earth in a high school connotation for me were, was a track with hurdles. That just did not equate with my body. I couldn't do the jungle gym in elementary, and I couldn't do hurdles in high school. As a matter of fact, I don't think I even tried because the idea of it so freaked me out that my legs could get that high that it was just, I mean, I can't touch my toes. Well, I can touch my toes, but I can't touch other things on the floor. Like in my class yesterday, that's a whole different discussion and I'm getting embarrassed because I'm off track. All that to say, I'm not an athlete and hurdles are impossible for me. But the Christian life we're gonna see is a track and has got hurdles. And sometimes your body will clear them and you'll praise God that you did not give in to that temptation. And then sometimes, like me, you're going to hit that hurdle and trip and fall flat on your face. And God has grace for that too. Because he loves you so much. He can't stand it. He cannot not love you, even when you mess up. So that's a theme of this book. What's the Christian lifestyle? And this is where it's going to really get convicting. How do I use my mouth? How do I love the poor? How do, I, how do I be in the world but not of it? What does genuine faith look like? And that there's a danger of wealth and there's a need for wisdom in trials. And that's the other thing. I always love the idea of asking for wisdom, but I've, I'm really in James, it really ties wisdom with trials. You need wisdom to know how to get through it and how to meet it. So just to wind up, how does James, how does this book impact me personally? Well, I hope already you felt some stirrings of, oh yeah, that, that may be what God's doing with James in my heart. Um, I don't want you to read it, like I said, and go, I gotta do this to become a Christian. If you're even wondering if you're a Christian or not, please come talk to me. I, I really would love to talk to you about it. Um, not to check you off a list of, ooh, another, my bell's going to ring because someone got saved or whatever that is from It's a Wonderful Life. Um, it's not that. It's, it's I, can't, I can't breathe in this life without God, and I want that for you. So there are people in this room, the person that invited you, me, any of that, Kara, any of the people up front, please just don't be alone in that. But there are some applications in James. One is being made perfect, and that's not like morally perfect, that's being made whole, being consistent, that what you feel in your heart is how you act on the outside, that you're not a hypocrite, that you're not saying I'm a Christian, but then you're not acting like one, and that my actions actually prove the state of my heart. And also that 
these trials and suffering that we go through, no matter if they're little stumped, I stumped my toe trial to, oh my gosh, I'm bleeding out trial, that those are making us mature and ready really for the new heavens and new earth. That, that this isn't just a life we live and then we're cut off and we start a new life. This life is actually tied to our eternal life. And that kind of makes me feel like well, what I'm doing now really matters because it'll last forever. So you're being made to be ready for eternity in your trials. And so we get a framework of how to look at trials in James that is a necessary component in our life it completes us, but also one of the applications I need is do I really trust God in my trial? Do I really trust him? Does he really good, good, give good things? Does he really love me if I'm experiencing this? And then what, I need, what do I need for my trials? Do I need just to numb myself and go do something else? Or do I need to attack it full on with God's word with me and with other believers encouraging me from his word. We'll also see that the tongue must match my heart. And that's the new heart that God gives you, not the old self. So this is going to get really up in our business. Um, if you see the quote at the top of your page, you know, this is a great book about getting knocked on your feet. Um, we're going to talk about how do I talk about my spouse, my parents, my in-laws, my boss, my roommate, my coworker, my church leaders, I mean my neighbors, you name it. Um, do I curse with the same mouth that I praise God on Sundays in worship? Is there a disconnect there? How do I, how do I live in the world and not pursue worldly things? Um, the riches that he talks about in this book, book there are riches that were probably gotten through oppression so how do i make my money how, do i oppress people do i rob people do i not give where i'm supposed to give and that riches fade they're like he says they're like a flower that flower is so pretty y'all oh i just love a flower in a field and the next day it's gone one time i had friends that in oxford where i used to live there were tons of daffodils you know in february and it was that they would just spread all on this hill. I mean, just it looked like hundreds of them. And there was a thunderstorm coming. And my friend and her other friend just went and picked them all. Of course, they stole them. But anyway, they were belonged to, I think, a church on a hill that had a lot. And um, they just were like, it can't get destroyed in the thunderstorm. Because we know what happens to daffodils when there's a thunderstorm. They all go flat. And he's saying, riches are like that. They are so pretty. They are so pretty, and they're beautiful, and they're good, and they last that long. So don't build your castle on a daffodil. You build it on rock. Riches fade. Poverty does not last. He's also talking to people who are poor as dirt. And wh what do you do? Both of them have to fight focusing on the riches. How do I handle my wealth? What if I'm not wealthy? So it's a challenging book, and it's easy to understand, but it's just difficult to do. And how does it point us to Jesus? By saying we can't. We need him. So we're going to lean on Jesus to help us in these hurdles. Like I said, whether you face them head on and you're a good athlete and you got muscles developed through other trials and other hurdles, that you worked yourself up to those hurdles, or whether you trip and you mess up. 
because you have grace for both. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good to us. Thank you for this book of James, but help us as we study it not to uh, quit, to not uh, falter in the face of conviction, but to, to feel those muscles respond in our trials, Lord, that we would not be scared of trials, even though they are scary, but that we would know that there's someone more powerful that is by our side to help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all start. We have about 25 minutes till we have to leave. So small group leaders, y'all do your thing, okay?